Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. You disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Little side note, coming back. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is the word of God for us today. Response? Now, before you grab a seat, I just want to invite you to do something. Could you just close your eyes just for a moment before you sit down? Close your eyes. And just, just to make sure we, we, we got what was going on there, I just want to invite you to use your imagination and prayer for a few moments. And we're just going to rerun that scene just to make sure we got it. And so what I want you to do is just, just imagine a room dimly lit. It's evening. And that the apostles, that the disciples are sitting around, they're reclining. And Jesus gets up and he, he takes off his outer robe and he puts on a towel. Jesus, the, the rabbi. Jesus, this great teacher. Jesus, the one who this whole time has been in the leadership seat of that group. Jesus, the, the miracle worker. Jesus, the one who only a chapter earlier in John has arrived and the crowds are singing, Hosanna, 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 King, Ruler. This Jesus, he takes a towel and he puts it around him and he gets a basin and he fills it with water and he starts going around the whole room and he takes each disciple's foot and he carefully bathes it. He, he uses his hands and he uses the water and he cleans their feet slowly, carefully. And then he dries each of their feet with the towel. One by one, each disciple. 
Can you see that? The rabbi has taken the place of the servant. And he tells them, this is my example to you. Do as I have just done to you. Go and do the same. So, so Lord, take this scene and plant it in our hearts today. Take this scene and plant it like a seed. And may our hearts be like soil ready to receive something good. And may the seed of this story today be a good fruit in our lives, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grab a seat. So welcome to week three of our exploration of the compassionate life. Now, last Sunday, we asked a really important question together. The question was this, what was Jesus's vision of social justice? Now, the reason we asked that question is because Richard Foster ties the compassionate life to social justice. So we asked that question last week, and I, and I whipped you through three incredible Hebrew words that would have been the words that Jesus would have framed up social justice with. So those words are, uh, let's start at the top, hesed, which is the steadfast love, uh, mishpat, which is the word of, of acting justly, acting in justice, and then shalom, everything being at rights. And so when Jesus thought of social justice, he thought of these three things blended together. This is the picture he would have had. Not some sort of internet activism, not some kind of Instagram hashtag series. No, he would have thought of these three Hebrew words. I whipped you through that last week. Today, what I want to start to do for today and next Sunday is I want to start to open up. Well, then if this is the type of vision, if this is what it looks like when following Jesus, then how do we live it? What do we do? And so today, I want to start looking at this idea of how Jesus was this servant, this amazing servant. But before I get there, I want to frame up where we're going with a set of concentric circles, because all great truths can be explained with Venn diagrams and circles and triangles and all that sort of stuff. So today we're going into concentric circles. Now, as we think about the compassionate life lived, this, this life on this quest for social justice or social rightness is another way we could put that. There are three great arenas that we'll find ourselves in. Three great arenas. Here they are. There's the personal arena. You. You, yourself, and I. There's the social arena. The social arena are the interactions around us, the relationships around us. There's our neighbors, our family, our friends, our workplace, our colleagues. Uh, there's the people that we have immediate interface with. And then lastly, there's the cultural arena the wider ecosystem of our society that's at play. Now, now, each of these three arenas has a range of battlefronts within them. So, so we'll start at the biggest circle of all, the cultural arena. You know, in our world, this is our society and the institutions in which um, all of our world is taking place in. And we do not have to look hard to find the battlefronts in the cultural arena, do we? These are the big topics. Uh, it's the things like poverty and housing, it's the issues of racism. It's the issues of historical injustice. It's the areas of sexism, of consumerism, of environmentalism. Now, 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 now these and many more, these are not easy fixes, are they? they? Some of these are terribly complicated issues. 
because they are tangled up in historical allegiances, they're tangled up in cultural traditions, they're tangled up in political interests. But we must face them. We must face them. And then the compassionate life is one of looking into that arena and wanting to do something about those problems that we see because they affect people at the end of the day. But often when we look at those issues, it's the problems that are the markers and the motivators. It's the problems that we see, not necessarily the people that it affects. Uh, let's go to the next circle in. It's a little bit tighter. The, the, the middle circle there, the second largest circle. This is the social arena. And these are the battlefronts that are a little bit closer to us, a little bit more at hand, a little bit more closer proximity. It's the family we live in. It's the friends we're known to. It's the neighbors we share life with. It's the groups and the committees and the workplaces and the boards that we belong to and interact with. It's this local village or it's the, the barista who makes your coffee every morning. It's this battlefront of this circle where the relationships are maybe not quite right, or where neighbors are in need of a literal resource, or a family member is in need of help, or there's problems between a colleague, or there's grief from a loss amongst a spouse. You know, in this arena, we look to bring relief to the suffering, not primarily just to solve a problem, but because we know those who are going through the problem. So it's a little bit closer it's the connection now that's motivating us, not necessarily just the facts and figures and statistics. And there's one more circle, that inner circle, the smallest one, but actually the most crucial one. We must keep our attention on it because it's the personal arena, the area of you, the area of yourself, the area of I, the area of me. It's our, it's our little kingdom, the area that we have to get rule and reign over, it's this critical area, this arena with crucial battlefronts. And they are the most critical and crucial because the integrity of how you will then play your part out in those other two arenas all hinges on, first and foremost, your own personal life. You know, for example, we cannot work for justice but live in justice. You know, we cannot work for peace and live war. We cannot work for racial reconciliation and live bigotry. And we cannot work for purity and live distortion. It's this crucial arena that we have come to the greatest battlefront of all. Now, two weeks ago, I began this whole part of the series, this facet of the series with a confession, a disclaimer. Um, and I just want to repeat it today in case you're visiting and missed it. My disclaimer was this, I'm not a very compassionate person. I'm not. And so a way to say that would be to say, my personal arena, the circle of my personal arena, compassion has always been a struggle and a battlefront for how I interact out into the other two arenas. When, when I have looked at the problems of the social arena and the cultural arena, my default has been, let's problem solve, let's ideate, let's strategize, let's speak and teach, let's inspire, let's mobilize others. And when conversations of compassion amongst those arenas would arise, I would literally find myself squirming. I would shrink back and I want to get out of the room, suddenly feeling the weight of imposter syndrome. Now, I know enough about spiritual direction and I know enough about the growth of the soul to know that that squirm is an invitation. Oh, that is good. 
that incongruence in me, that is a space to grow into. And I can't remember when it started, but I know that a journey did start to change that story. And slowly and surely, bit by bit, my arena, my personal arena, has been growing in compassion. And it's got a long way to go. A long way to go. But it is changing. You know, the work of compassion in my life has been growing from two things. Two things that I think have been doing it. Number one, the work that Jesus has been doing in my life by his spirit. And number two, as I have apprenticed my life after Jesus bit by bit, and trained myself day by day to do as he did, that training has been a space that has formed compassion in me, bit by bit, more by more. John Tyson recently put this into an email that a bunch of the dads in this church get from him every Thursday. And one of the dads in this church actually texts me on Thursday to be like, whew, Tyson's email today was hot, agreed, copy and paste, here's some of it. He says this, Jesus is the only one worthy of imitation and devotion. He is the greatest man who has ever lived. No one in all of history has integrated strength and tenderness, courage and compassion, anger and love like Jesus. No one has shown power and restraint, love for the individual and critique of systems like him. He creates space for redemption in the midst of despair, hope for the future in heartbreaking failure, and vision of another kingdom being enough to give your life to. He goes on to say this, Jesus longs to lead you out of the shadows of your shameful and sinful self and invite you into a journey of being renewed in his image. Learn how to see what God has for you and pay attention to how he is shaping you. Surrender to the spirit as your inner life, thoughts, emotions will, and will become like Jesus and lead you to respond, act, move and love like Christ in the world. What is Tyson saying? Let the work of the spirit be done in you and it will go out into those other Arenas. All of this is what I'm trying to say today is that in my story, my personal arena has become more compassionate bit by bit for no other reason, no other reason, no other reason other than I am following Jesus. That's it. Nothing else has convinced me. No other marketing plan has won me over. The only reason I am pursuing this life is because I follow Christ, I'm utterly convinced that following Christ is to be the leading edge of the battlefront of our personal arena. And if we get it right, everything else in the other arenas will follow. Slowly coming to right too. Amen? Allow me just to tell you a quick case study of what I'm talking about. Um, recently, I got to travel over to Portland. I got to go to Bridgetown for a pastor's conference, which was just amazing. And I got to hear the Bridgetown staff, this is some of them, on a panel. They were kicking around some practical outworking of how they do some things. And there was this moment where one of their staff members, Gavin, who's in the grey top there, third from the right, um, Gav was uh, getting to talk about life as the community's pastor of Bridgetown. And he was just sharing some of his wisdom and, and he was sharing some insight. And there was this little moment in the conversation that was just profound for me. And so I want to parachute you into that moment. I just want to quote it to you and just tell you about it. So, so Gavin said this, okay? He tells a little story about life at Bridgetown a few years ago. He says this, years ago, we used to make the leading edge of our communities group mission. We wanted people to get into groups 
and they'd do something missional together. So we would have people in community and they would do something missional, like they would go and they would feed the hungry and they would trim the toenails of the homeless living under the Burnside Bridge. Good idea, right? Sounds good, sounds good. Now let me just intersect for a moment here. Remember those three circles? Remember those three circles? What Gav is saying is that they used to pitch their community groups, or to use our language, circles, they used to pitch their community groups at that outside edge, okay? You get into community to go and get amongst that outside edge and serve the city. Back to Gav, because Gav said something really profound next. This is what he said. And then, after doing that, they would go get wasted. There's a huge problem that Gavin's commenting on here. If we only aim to those outer regions, if we only aim to those outer arenas, the picture of character transformation is not being completed. And perhaps the most crucial arena, the personal one, is still in disarray. And so Bridgetown went on a journey to change their approach and they aimed their groups at the center. They started in the center to then work out. So, so this is what he then goes on to say. What we realized was this. We had built community against the edge of doing mission, but there wasn't much discipleship transformation taking place. So in recent years, we've refocused our community groups first and foremost into discipleship and spiritual formation. And now years later, we have groups of disciples who are stepping into compassionate mission and justice for our city in a whole new way and with far more sustainability. And then he said this, this was the line and this is why I wanted to share it. The lesson is this, if you aim for mission, you sometimes get disciples, but if you make disciples, you will get mission. Some of you are nodding at me now. Amen? Yeah. Let's not get the cart and the horse around the wrong way. Gavin's lesson is true. If we want to become the best compassionate people, those, those two outer circles of the social and cultural arenas, then we, we have to start at the center. We have to choose to show up to this personal arena where Jesus is showing us how to do this for ourselves and to see what comes from the, the, excuse me, from the wake of that leading edge as it ripples out into the other arenas. So today, all of that to set up for today, I want to go to something that is meant to be right at the center of who we're called to be. Something that if I believe if we can get this right, everything will change. Everything will be different. So today I want to go to that very leading edge of Jesus of Nazareth and one of those greatest moments of him embodying his message, embodying his story as this compassionate practice into uh, this moment where he washed the feet of the disciples. Today, I want us to look at the fact that compassion is lived as servanthood. Compassionate as servanthood. And so to look at that, let's go back to our text. And let's just remind ourselves of what that was about. Jesus comes into the room and he, 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 he takes his, his, uh, his outer garment off. He puts a towel on. He works his way around the disciples and he washes all of their feet one by one. And in verse 15, there was this little verse here. I hope you noticed it. It said this, Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. Now, some translations say the word pattern. I've given you a pattern to follow. Do as I have done to you. The big idea that I just want to sink us into today, the big idea is this. The way of Jesus was that he was a servant. 
And servanthood is our pattern to follow. The way of Jesus is that he was a servant and servanthood is our pattern to follow. So let's unpack this a little bit. I want want to just do it in two ways. There's two things I want to bring to the service today. Firstly, the story does not sit on its own. There's, There's a really important thing to know about this story. Jesus has already been expressing a lot in his teachings about the way of a servant. He has already been teaching it a lot, talking about it a lot, and demonstrating it a lot. So in telling stories about what the kingdom of God is like, in these parable moments, in these moments of painting an imagination for what this looks like, the theme of servants and and, and, um, servanthood has been showing up. And in one particular, uh, in in the most, I want to just take us to Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45. In this story, we have the two disciples of Jesus, the brothers James and John. They're nicknamed the sons of thunder, actually, in this story. And they come to Jesus, and they sidle up to him, and they say, Jesus, when you are in power and sitting on your throne, we would really like to sit at your left and your right. So so what's going on here? What's going on here is that Jesus is on this quest And it's starting to look to them a lot like revolution. It's this liberation of Israel. And it's getting rid of the Roman occupation that they live under. And and Jesus is going to be king. He's going to be in charge. He keeps talking about a kingdom after all. So this is obviously the flow. He's going to be in charge. He's going to have, like every king, he's going to have a throne. Logic, right? We can see how they're thinking this. And he needs some guys to sit next to him. He needs some people to be his wingmen. And James and John think that they can be it. Now the other disciples overhear this and they grow indignant, the text says. It says they grew indignant. What does that mean? It means that there's this jostle. It always happens whenever power and hierarchy are starting to be spoken about. There's this jostle amongst the disciples. They want to get in on this too. I can imagine Peter just saying like, yo, yo, John, hang on, man, hang on. You're not leaping over me. And we know this moment because we've been in this moment ourselves so many times, haven't we? Hey, don't, don't let me out. Don't leave me out. What do you think you are to sort of climb over the rung here? Like, wait your turn. And Jesus sort of, uh, he, 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 he takes the power out of the squabble by going, hey, here's what he says. You know how it works around here. You know how it works in this world. Those who are in authority, they lord it over everyone. It's a place of prestige. It's a place of power. They love it. But then comes a key line in this whole conversation. Jesus says this, but among you, it will be different. But among you, it will be different. Whoa, what is Jesus up to here? And he says this, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when Jesus starts to wash their feet, a story has been developed. An imagination of the servanthood he's been speaking of. The second important thing to know is what did Jesus mean when he said servant? What did he mean when he said these words, these ideas? Well, in the Greek, there's two words that are being used here. There's diakonos and doulos. 
Now, diakonos speaks of a servant, like a servant as in a table servant who would serve a table. Doulos is often translated a little bit stronger. It's translated as slave. But a better term for it is, is bond servant. Bond servant. They were a servant like diakonos, but not just on the term of their work. They were far closer to their household than just a general servant. They were bonded to their master. And a, a doulos, a doulos did the work of a diakonos, but to a far greater sense of submission and loyalty to their master. So in the hierarchy of how society worked, in the latter, slaves and servants were pretty low. And in general, uh, the Greeks and the Jews, both of them thought pretty lowly of slaves and servants. Now the Greeks, they had house servants that they looked down upon. The Jewish attitude was pretty different, but actually they had Levitical laws that looked after the dignity of their slaves and their servants. So there's some scriptures about that. But overall, the attitude is pretty negative. These guys are down the bottom of the ladder. Servants and bond servants were to wait on you. They were to do as they were told. They were to work. They were to look after everything around the household. They were to wash your mess. They were to get you water. They were to tend to your needs. And they were to wash your feet. Now that's a really strange thing to do. In that it's just not really something that anyone does anymore. We don't really just have a person doing that for us. In this age of history, we have you know, daily showers and body wash and all of that sort of stuff, all that convenience and personal hygiene. But that hasn't arrived into the story yet. That isn't in this story. Everything in the household was a process of work and all of it was tied to the work of slaves and servants. They all were part of the mechanisms to make all of these things happen in a household even to going to the well to get water, to bring it back to the house, so that there was then water near the house. Like the whole process was owned by these people. It's an agricultural and it's a dusty setting. You know, there are no pre, this is pre-pavement world. There's, there's no, uh, you know, concrete and terracotta tiles and all the sort of nice stuff in it that we kind of just take for granted these days under our feet. And feet were often in sandals or barefoot. And on this world, in this world, on that ground, they were usually filthy. And so as you arrived into someone's home, as you came to their house for dinner, before you would recline at the table to eat, one of the roles of the servant was that they would wash the feet of the guests. This was not a glamorous moment at all. It was actually an incredibly filthy task because the roads and the paths were full of dirt and dust. But not only that, remember agricultural world, there's a lot of droppings from animals and all sorts of other stuff that are going on around their houses. But it was also an incredibly intimate and caring act. You know, good servants didn't just sort of slap on some water. <laughs> no, no, they would, they would take the guest's foot and they would gently bathe it and clean it and they'd use their fingers to get down in between the toes and then they would rub the foot with a towel and, and then maybe if, if the, the guest was um, really well off they would put some oil some beautiful fragrant oil on the feet it's a little bit weird and sensual to be talking about this in a room full of people this morning I'll be honest 
but they were looking after their guest. And then they would do it to the next one. And so in the story, Jesus picks up a towel and a basin and he does this job of a servant. Disciple after disciple, right around the room. It would have been gross. It would have taken time. But also, it would have been of incredible care. I love this bit of art. Um, if, you've, if, you, if you know enough about art, you know there's a lot being said by the way that the artists put up the composition and prepare things and put things into the scene. And I don't know if you noticed, but like it, t- it takes a moment to find Jesus. He's not, he's not the one standing up in the center like you would assume he is. He's actually behind that, sort of sitting down. He's almost sort of half hidden. This scene that sort of draws us to think about how hidden away this action is. Disciple after disciple, right around the room. You know, rather than asking, where is the servant to serve me? Jesus takes the place of the servant. He does the washing himself. And and then after it's all done, with that towel still wet and grubby from their dirt, he looks at his disciples. I imagine him kind of drying off his own hands. And he just says this, this is my example. This is my pattern. You need to do it this way too. You know, I wonder if they remembered back to that conversation about how among you it would be different. You know, I wonder if they connected the dots that Jesus had been teaching them through this image of servanthood for the last three years. I wonder, I wonder how they felt as they looked at his grubby towel that they had just been so lovingly and intimately served by. I wonder. I wonder how that makes you feel. Richard Foster says these beautiful words. He says, Jesus takes a towel and a basin and he redefines greatness forever. Um, I had a friend who was a pastor and he was recently telling me about his commissioning service that he had several years ago. And the pastor who commissioned him gave him a towel and he said to him these words, welcome to the ministry of the towel. What a picture. Welcome to the ministry of service, of care, of washing and of caring. Back to Foster again. Foster says this. Your service is not a list of things that we do, though in it we do discover things too. It is not a code of ethics, but a way of living. It It is one thing to act like a servant. It is quite another to be a servant. Um, A hero of mine, a mentor of mine, uh, Lloyd Rankin, who used to be the leader of the vineyard movement here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, he, he, he said this at a vineyard conference a long time ago, but I've never forgotten it. He said this, we are not leaders who serve, we are servants who lead. Now, that might just look like a bit of semantics and a bit of playing around with the words there, but but note the profound difference. Note the posture difference here. The leading edge of our lives is that we first become like Jesus as servants. And then from that, from that posture, we go about our work. We go to work. You know, servanthood is to become this first posture of Christ-likeness that all we may do may then come from it. 
And so I want to open up Lloyd's little one-liner here to you today and get you to ask this a question of it. You are not a blank, I don't know what you are, a mom, a dad, an engineer, a physicist, a, a nursing home carer, a, a janitor, um, a, an owner of a business, an entrepreneur, an architect. I don't know who you are, I don't know what you are, I know, I know what some of you are, but you are not a put that in there who then touches on serving onto the side like some bolt-on. No, 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 no. In the way of Jesus, you are a servant who then does those things. You know, whatever your daily life is, whatever tasks you find yourself doing or the places you find yourself in, the posture in which you are to come to the people you interface with is first as a servant seeking to serve. We are all called to be people of that ministry. The ministry of the towel, the ministry of the basin, we are called to a compassionate life of servanthood. Now, a reality check. I'm not sure if you are noticing this as well, but it seems like every time Jesus speaks on service, there is this jostling. There's this uneasiness in the disciples. And I even feel like every time I want to think about serving or talk about serving or acknowledge serving, there's the same sense of I'm coming up against something, even in my own heart. There's this power and there's this force that's being confronted as we talk about service. And I think it's this. I think it's this. There is a confrontational power for submission. You know, to submit is to choose to do something lower. And we don't actually like going lower. We actually don't like submitting. And the disciples, they didn't want to be the ones who missed out on sitting to the side of Jesus. They struggled with the idea, with the first, this thought that he taught them, that, that actually to be first, you must be last. To, you have to invert this. Yeah, I wonder if you too might be noticing that little jostle in you today. I wonder if there's this internal thing bustling around in you as we talk about serving. I wonder if it's the same thing. I wonder if in a world where we have been trained over and over again that power and position is how things happen. I wonder if we just do not see the sense in going to the bottom of the ladder. I wonder if in this world where we have been conditioned that we are to be paid for what we do. And if you do a good job, you can get paid even more that actually we don't like doing things for free. I wonder if we have been told in our lives this whole thing of be your own boss, live your own truth, you do you, do it your way, in the words of Frank Sinatra or whatever, I did it my way. You know, we, we don't like the thought of coming under someone else and being lower than them. Which is where this training and confronting work of the way of Jesus starts to meet head on and to confront our inability in us to submit well. You know, this is the front edge of the personal battleground. This is where the collisions of power meet. Can we submit to go lower to pick up the towel and the basin? and practice service. Can we do it? 
Now, I've shown you all these before. If you've been around, you've seen this many times now. But this is a list of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices that we um, have inherited from 2,000 years of Christian tradition, 2,000 years of faithful work in the church, of these are the things that move us towards life with Jesus. These are things that help to train us in Christian formation. And there's two categories. On your left are things to engage in, things to do. And on your right are things to abstain from, things to pull back from, things to not do. And these are the training ground of learning how to become like Jesus. This, that there's a means to an end here. The means is not do those things for the sake of themselves. Those things are to move us towards life with God richly, deeply, and wonderfully. And on the column of engagement on your left, there are two practices that I just want to point out to you today that have been in the church for 2,000 years. Service and submission. Now, these practices are practices that the church has held for 2,000 years in all kinds of ways with the end goal of Christ-likeness. And so I just want to offer a quick word on both of these to finish up, and then I'm going to invite you to just a couple of little practices that you could try this week. And like we have been for the last several weeks, then we're going to just see if God wants to move and we're going to pray for some people. So let's start with submission. This is the practice of shifting our posture to take the lower place. Submission is to shift our posture to take a place that is lower. Now, now I want to be very careful here because I know that for the last several months, the narrative around the Church of New Zealand has been that this word has been abused and used terribly. I know that this word, submission, has, has literally made some of you lose your breath today as I've said it. I know that. I know that for some of you, you're gasping even now as I talk about it. I know that this word is loaded and it's full of painful things for you. And that is not how I'm wanting to use that word today. That is not how I'm wanting to use that word. There is a long and horrible list of ways that this word has been used to coerce and to control. And that is not what I'm offering you today. This is not the way I'm talking about this. Submission is not and never should be a technique for me to ask of you to do for me. It's not. And it never should be. No, submission is hopefully something you should see in me as I do it for you or as I do it for others. So I'm not here about to pitch to you that you should be submitting to me. Now I know there's a lot going on that will be going on in people's minds as you think about various things of these last couple of months and, and, and the various things of the narrative of the church. So, so we need to kind of just move that to one side if we can and let's keep that conversation going in the right places. But today as I talk about submission, what I'm wanting to talk about is that we are joining a story that Christ embodied in the washing of his disciples' feet. It is not a thing of coercion and control. No, no, no. It is an invitation to imitation. Will we imitate him? As Christ submitted his own glory from, from, from glory with God to that of a lowly servant, can we too get in on that invitation? Can we too figure out how to make ourselves lower and to hold ourselves in a posture where the last become first? We too, we too must learn from the early church how to be able to say of ourselves, I, I, I consider myself like a bondservant to Christ. I consider myself like a slave to Christ. That's how I see myself. Everything else is a loss. 
Can we start to see that narrative in our hearts developing? Now remember, this is, this is all part of a journey of compassion. That's what I'm talking about today. It's about the compassionate life. So I ask you this, this is the frame. Can any compassion truly exist when people are above and dominating? Can compassion ever exist when someone is lording over the top of? No. Compassion only exists when someone can get low and enter in. Compassion only works through submission. It only works from getting off the ladder rung we find ourselves on and dropping ourselves down to the bottom. It's the only way compassion can work. We must move downward. And to move downward, it takes submission. That's the practice that we are doing as we do that. We're feeling the, the, the gym workout of the practice of submission. And with any submission, there is going to be some internal jostling. There's going to be this fidgeting as we get uncomfortable about that because we don't like going down, do we? We want to progress up. We want to go up to the right. That's the way that we've been told that life should be going. Go good, that corner. But actually, let's just name this together in the room that right now. <sighs> Spiritual realism. Submission is really hard isn't it? Some of you are just looking at me like you've got this nailed. Um, submission is really hard. It is hard to go low. Which brings me to the second part. When we get submission in our hearts, the thing that follows is the practice of serving. And so if, if to submit is to place ourselves lower, then to serve is to do something when we're down there. What do we see? What needs to be attended to? What can we do? And this is where the posture shifts to an action. This is where it takes on an act and we assist. Serving is to get into the places that need help and to do the mahi. This is the moment when we put on the towel and we pick up the basin, whatever that may be in whatever situation we find ourselves in as we look around. On Monday night, what would it look like to pick up the towel and, and pick up the basin? It, it looks a little different. It would look like preparing food with the gratis team, taking it out into the street to be able to feed those who are hungry right at the interface of where it's needed the most on a cold Monday night in Auckland City. That would be picking up the towel in the basin on Monday night. Or on Tuesday night, what could it look like? It could look like grabbing a card and a meal, maybe a bottle of wine and going over to that friend who you know has been struggling with mental health the last couple of months and saying, I'm here. Can I come in and eat with you? Let's talk. Or maybe on Wednesday, on Wednesday it could look like no food. It could look like fasting and praying for those that are on a prayer list that you carry around in your heart. Choosing to submit your day to a day of fasting and intercession for others. That you may be able to pick up the towel in the basin in that way. Spiritually attending to them in prayer and fasting. Or on Thursday, what could it look like? Well, it could look like the worship team who tune up their instruments on Thursday night to rehearse and practice for serving us on Friday. Thank you, worship team, for all of that work that you do. And even in particular today, thank you so much. It was just a stunning time of worship this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning up your instruments and doing that for us. Uh, on Friday... On Friday, what could it look like? It could look like finishing last at your workplace. I'm emptying the dishwasher. Ooh, I got a little... Uh. <laughs> there's, some, there's some bosses in the room who are like, mm, I like where that's going. It could look like um, giving the place one final sweep. It could look like being last to leave and quietly going about making that place a little bit better on your way out. Or... On Saturday, what could it look like? It could look like picking up the towel in the basin by doing something like 
uh, picking up um, trees and, and planting some trees with a local community group as they seek to put together a little bit of your local reserve. And what could it look like on Sunday? Well, it could look like being part of the team who help here to do all the wonderful work of serving all of us so that we can be together and enjoy our time together. And so again, if you've, if you've served in this community on Sunday by making coffee or putting out chairs or putting out signs or looking after our kids or anything like that, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that that's what you've done. It's so, so good. And we really appreciate you and the work you've put in, especially today as well. Thank you for those who got here today and did that. It could be so many things. It could be so many things. And that's what the point I'm trying to make here is that to pick up the towel in the basin is going to be creative it's going to take looking and seeing and wondering what we can do to fill the gap. It's going to take ingenuity. You know, and here's the, here's the little payoff. You know, you probably won't get paid for it. But that's not the point. The point is you are practicing and you are training your heart to live the way of a servant. And it's the training ground for compassion. It grows the personal arena. It develops it. And it makes you a little bit more compassionate on the other side. So the point I'm trying to make today, the point I'm trying to make is this as I finish. The compassionate life is one lived as a servant. It's servanthood. And to be a servant is to live two different things. Firstly, it's to live the posture of submission, making ourselves lower. And in that lowered state, as we notice what's around and what's needed and what we can do, we tend to the needs, we assist, and we do something. We serve. Those are the two things going on with servanthood. So this is an invitation today to become a certain kind of person in the world. People who are taking their personal arena seriously. People who have been filled with a, a vision of compassion. People who are embodying it into a world creatively, and carefully. I don't want to, um, I don't want to be too romantic here, but, but servanthood is a great task. It is to do life as Christ did. It, it's to, to take the power dynamics of the world and to fling them over, upside down, and to become a person of presence of people living from the bottom up, from last to first, marked by actions of love. Servanthood, servanthood is to follow the pattern of Jesus to the leading edge of how I truly believe we can change the world. And servanthood is hard. It's hard because there is confrontational power every time we need to submit. There's something in our lives that has to die. It's our ego, it's our time, it's our energy, it's our control, it's our doing things our way. And none of this ever comes very naturally to any of us, which is why we need to practice it. We need to put the training wheels on. And so today I want to offer you a way to practice compassion using those two ideas of practicing servanthood, uh, sorry, service or submission. I have two invitations to you. None of you have to do this. This is not anything anyone has to do at all. It's never that way around here. But I do believe that if you give them a try, something might happen in the way of God and you and following Jesus. As you talk about these things in your circle, as you work them through with Jesus, as you pray about them and fast about them or work them through in prayer, 
you might find that you too are living a little bit more on the compassionate journey out the other side. So, so I just have two little things to offer you today. Uh, uh, one practice maybe for service. This afternoon or Monday or early this week, look through your diary for the next seven days. Look through from today or tomorrow for seven days. And look through at those little blocks, look through at all those little things you're doing. And just ask yourself a really simple question. Are any of these blocks me serving? Are any of these blocks me serving? Are any of these blocks me doing something where I'm assisting in a place where I can practice servanthood? Now, if you need a place, if you do not have any options, on our website, we have a join in button. And under the join in button, there are a couple of options there. And the invitation will be this. If there's nothing in your diary, you could come and practice and put something in your diary over the next several weeks and you could come and give it a go. The other practice I want to offer you this is about submission. You know, lowering oneself is incredibly hard to do. It confronts our ego. It confronts our control. It confronts our power. But today... I want to ask you to consider a simple practice this week. It comes from the words of Jesus, and it's this phrase, not my will be done. Not my will be done. Now, of course, Jesus is talking about that in regards to his heavenly Father. He's saying, not not my will be done, but yours be done. But I want you to just model that little phrase up and start to look around with it. I wonder what you might see. I wonder what you might see as you look at others around you or you look at culture or you look at your workplace or you look at your family. Not my will be done. What does it look like for me to get lower? Not my power, not my dominance, not my kingdom, not my rule, but my will taking a lower seat. Not my will be done. I wonder what that might look like. And so those are my two little offers of a practice, an invitation for you to try. Talk about those in your circle. Talk about those with your friends. Pray about those. So two things. Look through your diary. Are you serving? Number two, not my will be done. Getting lower. I look forward to hearing how some of those are going for you. My benediction today is this. May we be people of the towel. May we become people where amongst us it is different. May we become people who we imitate this upside down way of our master, the rabbi Jesus, who did not seek to find the servant to wash his feet. He instead chose to wash the feet of others. May we be the people who are moved by compassion and have chosen to respond by compassion. May we become people of servanthood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here to stand and Let's just see if there's anything the Lord wants to do with us today as we're gathered.